Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're talking about how Buddhism sees obstacles, in particular, those big challenges life throws your way when you're least expecting it. Our guest is Brian Lindgren of Virginia, who shares about how his Buddhist practice helped him challenge his circumstances with fresh energy and make even greater meaning of them when great obstacles arose. Here's Brian. My name is Brian Lindgren, and I'm based in Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, I'm a musician, composer, violist, instrument builder, and I'm uh, doing my PhD at the University of Virginia right now. Amazing. Um, I know we're going to unpack a bunch of of what those things mean (laughs) and how you ended up in this career path. But I always like to start with um, just an introduction to like how you encountered Buddhism. Um, So it's just fun to hear people's journeys and where they started, why they were interested. So if you could just tell me like the brief story, how did you first encounter um, Buddhism? And then like what was going on in your life such that you were interested to try chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo? Hmm. Yeah, so I had just finished my undergrad and, um, you know, I was, what, 21, 22. And I think it's that it's an interesting time of your life where you're, um, in a sense, you're leaving kind of this school environment that you've been in since you were five. And it's like, oh, wow, I have to do something with my life and figure out this this crazy complicated uh thing and hopefully not screw it up too badly (laughs) um yeah and you know have a good time along the way and um so yeah I was just kind of at that 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 place in my life and just kind of considering you know how how to do that and how to make that happen and I thought about this um my my viola teacher that I had in uh, undergrad I did a, a degree in viola performance and he was an you know, is an amazing, amazing person, amazing teacher. And he's uh, someone who I felt in four years taught me like 40 plus years of not just information, but um, I don't know, like depth of 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 musicality and, and playing viola. Um, and it was amazing just to reflect on those those four years. And I was thinking to myself that in terms of figuring out how to how to live live a good life and and figure out you know the the crazy path ahead that it wasn't necessary to i guess reinvent the wheel in a sense but there was so much wisdom out there already and that i just needed to be able to tap into it and put it into practice and right around that time a friend of mine, um, fellow musician, uh, really amazing trumpet player. Um, we were, um, yeah, I guess to, to keep it short, um, he, he shared Buddhism with me and I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool because, um, this is just what I was looking for in my life. And, um, I started chanting Namiho Renge Kyo and it felt like exactly what I had needed and yeah, I just uh, have 
worked with it. And yeah, still to this day, every day I, I chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah, I feel like that that like crucial time when you're just figuring out what to do with your life, it's like to be able to encounter Buddhism at that time is is just like very lucky. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because there's a lot of other stuff out there you can get yourself into that might not work out as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah. Um, Just one follow up to that. I'm curious if you remember like at that, you know, many people are, for instance, attracted to Buddhism when they're like, oh, yeah, this philosophy makes sense to me. I'm excited to try this. But then to actually decide to continue for the long term is a completely different thing. And I'm curious, like, did you did you chant about anything specific at that time or witness any specific changes that you were like, OK, this is not just me being curious about this. Like, I really want to continue. Hmm. Yeah, there were definite things. I think I just started to feel better on a day-to-day basis, um, having an opportunity, um, especially in, in the morning, to chant Nami Horenge Kyo and just um, reflect on my life, um, where I had you know, been up until that point and where I wanted to go, what I wanted to break through with that day, what I wanted to you know, see happen in the upcoming weeks and, and months. And, and, you know, I guess, understand that at the same time this practice teaches that we have infinite potential and there really isn't anything holding us back from breaking through with these things um except maybe our own you know doubts or you know fears or cowardice or or whatever so Mm. i think um being able to to chant in the mornings and really just uh put it out on the line and 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 go for it um was was huge and i think yeah i started to feel just better on a day-to-day basis but also one of my i think immediate um goals was to um begin composing electronic music which i had started about halfway through my undergrad um but you know the performance degree was just uh a, a lot and um i didn't really have the time that i wanted to devote to composing electronic music so I remember um, there was a local bookstore that had a a music series and um, I didn't have any real (laughs) music composed yet at that point, but I I went to the bookstore and, and I I told them that I wanted to be on their, their series. And if, if they would, you know, allow me to, yeah, have one of their slots. And I remember it was in uh, about maybe six weeks uh, away from (laughs) that that day when I went in and I was like oh wow okay so they let me they let me do this they booked me and now I have to come up with the whole program worth of of music in the six weeks and so I I remember I I was living in Ithaca New York at the time and um yeah I was I was freelancing as a, a violist and teaching um so I had that time commitment but other than that all I did was just um you know just keep up my my regular regimen of of chanting Nami Horenge Kyo and just churn out music and compose music and yeah by the time the show um the date of the show came I remember it was August 3rd uh, I think 2007 
Yeah, yeah. Um, crazy to think about. <laughs> um, but yeah, by the you know time the show came, I had like 45 minutes of music and it was awesome. And it was like, wow, this is something that I would have never, A, I think challenged before meeting the practice, such an ambitious goal. And, and B, actually, I pulled it off and it was music that I was really, really happy about. And so that was one of the first clear, I think, just, you know, clear clear results that I I got from chanting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is very bold <laughs> to book yourself and then have to have to, to do it. But uh, I totally get it. I feel like um, even if you're, you know, not in the arts, like there's so many versions of those kinds of challenges that you like identify while you're chanting and you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm pretty sure I can do it. And then the fire comes from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Thank you for, for sharing. Um, and thank you for, for that context. It's just always helpful to hear kind of where and why people started. Um, but so for today's conversation, I just want to frame a little bit of the kind of theme that we've been thinking about and, um, we'll sort of unpack it from there. A huge um, component of Buddhist practice is to like have a correct view of like when hard things happen, what do you do and why are they happening? Like, so like you started practicing, you started challenging yourself, you felt better and happier. Um, and then, you know, what happened next that you were like, started to really understand the philosophy of Buddhism? I mean, I, I think, yeah, like, I don't know. I'll give the, like the super short sort of uh, gist of it. Um, yeah, I mean, composing music was always the thing I wanted to be exploring in in a professional sense. And yeah, by the time I had been in New York a few years, I had a a pretty solid job that I was at for four years, where I was teaching elementary school um, like stringed instruments and orchestra, and it was cool, but. Um, I just really wanted to not, you know, I wanted to be able to focus more on composing music and, you know, being a kind of, I don't know, you're just impatient or whatever. I was, um, I had a few years, um, before I left that job, maybe a year, year and a half, my grandmother had, had passed away and she left me a little inheritance and I was like, oh, well, maybe I could just, you know, leave this job and, and live off this for 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 a bit um while i just try and try and you know focus on on writing music and in short you know i i did that but it didn't really pan out financially in the way that i needed to you know <laughs> like pay for an apartment in new york and all that stuff so um yeah so i was i was i was like nosedive nosedive toward like the uh you know being in the red <laughs> financially and but you know okay i'll figure out like let me just like start selling stuff and like you know just scrounge up as much money as i can and i'll figure it out <laughs> oh, wow. um so yeah yeah i i had started um you know i had stopped uh when i first moved to new york i was freelancing as a violist that was my main career and uh you know, I guess source of income slash career. And, but I stopped doing that when I was teaching because it was a lot to do all at once with uh, just wanting to be, you know, compose music too. So I stopped freelancing. But anyway, I was like, okay, I really got to get stuff figured out or things are not going to be good. So I, um, 
yeah, I started, I reached out to all my old, you know, freelance contacts and I was like, Hey, I'm back. I'm ready to play gigs, hook me up. And yeah, within a few months I, I had like a solid stream of, of income, um, you know, for a musician. <laughs> um, and you know, but I was able to, to afford my, my room in my apartment and you know, it's, it was, it was good, you know, start mm-hmm. saving up again, all that. Um, and then, um, you know, I had, I had this apartment where I was, I was, but I, uh, had this apartment where I was the, the leaseholder and I was renting out a room to, you know, save money. And then, um, my landlord was like, Hey, Brian, I don't want you to rent out the room anymore because you've had so many people come in and out. And he was living downstairs with his family and it's like, Oh wow. So it's either I move out or I take up the whole lease by myself. And it was like, just, uh, you know, really nuts financially um, to go from, you know, paying for one room to have to pay for two rooms and, you know, the whole place. And so anyway, I hadn't ever since I left home, you know, like, uh, or finished, you know, college, asked my parents for money, but I had to ask them for some money just to help kind of cover a few months. But uh, so anyway, I ended up getting a job at Whole Foods in Union Square um, as a cashier, which was like, you know, totally something I hadn't had like a wage job like that since, you know, I just finished college. I was working at a cafe. And anyway, it was very, very intense, very like kind of, you know, humbling experience. It's like, okay, well, here my working at Whole Foods, but you know, it's like, okay, you just got to do what you got to do. Um, and you know, I was also freelancing as a viola. So it's just super, super crazy time-wise having to like work, you know, two jobs and then, mm-hmm. you know, um, figure, figure things out in my life. And, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I was still trying to like save as much money as possible. And I'd stop buying subway passes cause I'm like, Hey, I can bike everywhere. My friend happened to lend me his old bike from like 1965. <laughs> and so I was like biking all over the city, you know, gigs and, you know, all over Manhattan, you know, Brooklyn, Staten Island, the Bronx, it was insane, but you know, it's kind of fun actually. Cause I was like, wow, I'm actually, you know, I'd wanted to get in better shape too, because it's like, you got to like take care of my health for the long haul. And, um, yeah, I was like the best shape of my life running regularly, getting ready to run, you know, a marathon and, uh, October of 2019, you know, freelancing. And then so I had applied to this master's program, uh, Brooklyn College. So it sounds like, you know, what you're describing is that when you started practicing Buddhism, it just like opened up um, c- confidence and courage and you knew what you wanted to do. Like you were already passionate um, about music, uh, but you wanted to compose more. And I feel like many people can relate to some version of that, you know, um, especially if you're a creative person where you're like, I I know what it is that I want to end up doing. And I'm inching my way towards that. I'm like enjoying things along the way, but like, this is my dream, you know, at the same Mm, time um, to survive, you know, in New York city at the time, I guess, as a creative person is really challenging. So um, I, I wonder if we can, if you feel comfortable sharing just like what was your like what was where did the dream come from you know like did you always want to be a musician or a composer what was sort of like the vision that you had uh, such that when things started getting hard you stayed on that path yeah um i i i think since i was young i loved creating things i was always in my dad's like quote unquote workroom like sawing up wood and gluing things together and you know i built a tree house in the backyard it's always like making stuff as a kid and i love just 
making things and creating new things that had some sort of mark of my own personality in, in different ways. And I thought that were just unique creations, um, whether they were functional or not was kind of beside the point. But I always loved um, just creating new things that didn't exist before. And I did love music because it was something that um, was just so kind of like emotionally rich and, and touched my soul and was incredibly f just fun and gratifying to participate in creating. Um, I do feel that, you know, there was a certain experience, I guess I could say, in, um, in my undergrad where a friend of mine, he had gotten into creating electronic music on his computer. And at that time, there was also a lot of new electronic music that was just coming out, the technologies in terms of what you could run on a personal computer and the software was was pretty new in a sense. And so there was all this really cool music that was being created. And as much as I loved playing viola, the opportunity to dive in and, and create something new that hadn't been uh, ever thought of or heard or, or written before or you know heard by anyone else was really appealing. Um, one of the, I guess, just realities of playing classical viola is you're playing compositions that people have already written, which is cool in, in a lot of ways, but you're not necessarily creating something that's completely new. Mm. You're more just realizing something that someone else has thought of. And so that's kind of what lit the spark for me was the opportunity to just make new music that no one had ever heard before and to kind of create the sounds that I had in my head, the kind of ideas that had been sort of floating around as I listened to more and more um, new music. And yeah, from, from there, that's kind of when I think the, the spark was lit. Yeah, that's really cool because to think of what you do now, like not just as a composer, but even making the instrument, you know, you like went all in and brought, brought yeah. that to life, which is so cool. Um, so uh, so I understand that, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure along the way there were so many key turning points and like challenges to pursuing this because this this kind of a dream is a long haul, right? I mean, mm. we all have them, but it's definitely a long haul and you have to really um, learn to never give up, which is a yeah. huge kind of teaching in Buddhism. So um, as your Buddhist practice grew, how did you, and if you remember this, you know, like, was there a point at which you were like, I can really, like, this is how I'm going to chant about what my goal is, or like, this is how I'm going to establish what the next checkpoint is that sort of led you to where you are today. I'm just thinking from the perspective of someone who's like, I have like a really big dream like that, but like, now what do I do? You know, and you told me about chanting, like, how, where do I dig in? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, I think it's a few different things. On one hand, it's important to have an idea of, of where you want to go. And, and I think for myself, I, I have that. And on the other hand, it's important to just do something right now, even if it's very, a small step forward. Um, in terms of the bigger picture, but just to create, create momentum mm -hmm. and move forward. Um, that's really important. Um, yeah, I guess it's kind of a simple answer, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's actually, yeah, very, um, very clear advice. And, and so um, I understand that during the pandemic, or I guess just prior to the pandemic, um, you kind of 
had some like pretty tremendous challenges come up. So maybe if you're comfortable sharing kind of where were you at the time career wise? And then like, I understand that you went through an accident um, that was career threatening in in some senses. Um, so yeah, basically, if you don't, if you, as much as you're comfortable sharing kind of where were you at the time and, and what happened? Yeah, sure. So I had started this uh, master's program at Brooklyn College and this program called Sonic Arts, which is an amazing program. Um, I received no endorsements from them, by the way, but yeah, a great program. Um, And this was kind of my own um, maybe answer, you could say, to all of the really intense financial challenges I had been facing before because I hadn't really done any kind of formal schooling since my undergrad, which was maybe um, 12 or 13 years earlier, 13 years earlier. And I thought that this program could be really helpful in uh, allowing myself to just focus on creating music, learn new things from really smart people and be influenced by some incredible uh, classmates. And yeah, figure have two years to figure out what I uh, needed to do, um, you know, going forward for my career. So yeah, I was in this program, and it was it was super challenging. I was working um, at Whole Foods when I started, and also working as a freelance violist. So yeah, doing a full time uh, master's degree with two jobs was incredibly challenging. And actually it's a two and a half year program, but I was trying to do it in two years. So it's kind of like more than full-time schooling. Um, and so it was, it was really, really, really busy. But one of the things I had learned in my, my time practicing is the importance of welcoming challenges and embracing difficult things and how important that is in terms of, being able to just bring out strengths and things in our life that we would never be um, prompted to bring out otherwise. And so I really just took on this challenge and um, I was uh, chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo a lot and just diving into my my Buddhist practice and um, really using this as a, a launch pad to completely just shoot my life in the direction that I had been chancing about. Um, I imagine this, this, this rocket ship or spaceship that was on this, this launch pad and the, the thrusters, the rocket thrusters ignite. And there's just this incredible force that's pushing down from the spacecraft upon the launch pad. And this massive um, spaceship is just, just, taking off and and you know just working against this immense gravity but these rocket thrusters are just so powerful and i just that was kind of a an analogy i i thought of at the time um with just how how intensely i was going to use my buddhist practice to um to fight ahead and to to break through all of the challenges that i had before and also um come up with a a clear path forward and a clear vision for how I was going to um, shape my career as a musician and as a composer. Mm. And um, so that was this time when I first started 
this uh, master's program. And again, it was incredibly busy, just, you know, more than full-time, you know, schooling and working two jobs. And um, then the, uh, the pandemic happened <laughs> and that was, that was insane. I think, you know, for everyone that, you know, went through that, which is pretty much everybody. Um, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy time. It was, it was, it was really, really challenging. I mean, New York at the time was just very, um, it was, I don't know, it was dark. It was really dark, mm. dark time, just sickness and kind of fear, uncertainty, all that. Um, but yeah, I was just determined that I was going to keep keep pushing forward and and not be deterred or swayed or distracted. And if anything, um, I would have more time because everything went on uh, Zoom and I wouldn't have the commute time I would have had normally. And also my my freelance gigs were um, were canceled, so I had I had more time in that regard also. Um, and so, yeah, I just kept kept pushing forward. I kept pushing forward. And one of the really, I think, exciting, um, I think, manifestations of the intense chanting I had been doing and striving of in my Buddhist practice at the time was that uh, the first semester of school, I took this class called Building Electronic Music Instruments. And I, for my final project, I remembered this uh, vision I had, this idea from when I was an undergrad, um, when I first started composing electronic music. And the reality with a lot of, um, you know, digital music interfaces that are used for creating electronic music is they're often, they're keyboards or they're things with buttons and knobs. And as a violist, they're not really that um, accessible or fun. <laughs> and they're kind of very like limiting and, and square ways of creating really expressive music. And I was thinking to myself, it'd be amazing if there was something like a viola that I could use to create electronic music that I could interface with a synthesizer through a viola type thing. And so for my final project for this class I was taking, I had this just crazy inspiration to try and create this thing <laughs> for my final project, which was way beyond the scope, I think, of what was required for a final project in terms of, uh, you know, like difficulty and commitment. Um, but, you know, I, I had been fighting so hard and I'd been through so much at this point. And it was like, like, why, why would I possibly hold back in terms of something I think is a really cool idea. Like this is the time when I just it's need to go for it. And so I went for it. And I remember this is the end of 2019. I, um, yeah, I had like racked up probably close to a thousand dollars and like, you know, Amazon purchases of like all sorts of different, you know, parts, electronic components and, um, a really cheap, uh, <laughs> viola that I, I was planning to hack up and, um, use for this project. And anyway, um, yeah, I made a lot of headway and at the same time, the project was not nearly where I wanted it to be by the time it 
it, you know, it came to, to share for my, uh, my final presentation at the end of the semester. Um, but my professor was amazingly, um, supportive and I kind of felt like really crappy. I think I'd actually like called him up and been like, you know, Hey, what am I going to do? I don't know if I can present this thing, <laughs> but he was really supportive. And, you know, we finished the semester and he, um, I think he was, he really enjoyed the, the, the project and was interested in it also. So he offered to do an independent study with me, uh, the following semester on it. And this was spring of 2020 when the pandemic started. And, um, you know, fast forward, we ended up doing independent studies the rest of my time in the program um, on this instrument. And um, but yeah, the that semester, though, with the pandemic, I just remember um, kind of sequestering myself in my apartment and just working from beginning of the day to from morning to night on this um, master's degree requirements and this instrument I was building. And I think there was one point in time where I didn't go outside for nine days because I was just working from, yeah, like literally, um, you know, the entire day. And anyway, um, yeah, the semester ended, um, you know, really incredibly and the instrument was still coming along. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, I was so excited about summer. There were so many good things ahead. I was so excited about the summer. I had just um, gotten this, this gig writing music for this uh, film project, as well as doing location sound for it, which means, you know, you kind of carry the microphone around to the, wherever mm -hmm. the film crew is and you do the audio recording. And, you know, I was really looking forward to that. And um, I also had this uh, long distance bicycle trip planned where I was going to bike from Brooklyn to the end of uh, Long Island and then take a ferry to visit my brother and his family in Connecticut. And, um, and I did it. It was crazy. It was like 110 miles each way. Um, but yeah, it was, it was super fun. And then I went on this, um, this film shoot, which was amazing. And we had such a good time traveling up and down the East coast and shooting this thing. And then, um, yeah, as it was at the time, you know, whenever you travel out of state during the pandemic, they were like, okay, you have to quarantine for, I forget it was like 10 days or two weeks. So mm -hmm. anyway, I kind of like locked myself in my apartment. It was just working on stuff. And then the, uh, at right when my quarantine ended, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, go out and, um, you know, visit some friends in Prospect Park. And as I was coming back um, home, I was actually going to to meet on Zoom uh, with the producers of this, this uh, film project. Um, yeah, I was biking, you know, five blocks from where I was living. And I had this green light at this intersection as I was biking, I was biking straight through the intersection. And then this, this guy who was in the opposite lane coming, you know, the opposite direction toward me without any warning, he literally just turned straight into me. And it was basically, um, like almost a head on collision. And I, smashed into the side of his SUV. And I just remember thinking at that time, like, crap, this is that thing that, mm. you know, every bicyclist is trying to avoid day in and day out. And here we go. Um, so yeah, I hit the side of his truck, which hurt a lot. <laughs> 
when they say you feel like you got hit by a truck, that's kind of what it means. Oh um, so yeah. Um, and I flew from my bike over his hood and I, I went about like 20 feet through the air. It was, I was on one side of the intersection when I hit him and then I ended up on the other side of the intersection. I did a somersault and landed on my back. Fortunately I had a helmet on. So, you know, like my head was okay. And yeah, quick PSA, mm -hmm. always wear that, that bike helmet. You never know when you're really going to need it. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately. So yeah. And, um, yeah, I was laying there and yeah, a bunch of people came up, you know, it's that, that Brooklyn love, you know, people are there for you when you need it. That's for sure. And, um, yeah, you know, the ambulance came and yeah, I, I just, you know, in short, um, took me to the ER. turns out I had a, uh, uh, broken left, uh, patella or kneecap. It's like shattered more like it in like five pieces and broken left pinky finger, broken left toe. And, uh, yeah, what I learned later was like cartilage damage and a bone bruise on my right knee. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so there's probably a lot of, lot of details <laughs> in here, but you know, and to keep it short, I had uh, surgery on my uh, left knee and still have some metal in there and two surgeries on my left pinky and had to move to upstate New York to live with my parents for a few months while I was, uh, you know, recovering in physical therapy, you know, doing some of these surgeries um, because it was just, you know, getting around the city was going to be too crazy on crutches. Um, yeah. So yeah yeah um that's that's kind of uh yeah how it happened that's insane that's a yeah brutal accident i yeah. you know i i i do have a follow-up um before we kind of hear what the recovery ended up being like because i'm i'm struck by um like what you shared about kind of the trajectory that you were on prior to this accident happening and like how much you were hustling and working hard and inspired and just like doing everything. Um, like what led you to be able to make like the rocket ship analogy, like what led you to be able to make that level of like a determination or like, this is, I'm going to like move my career forward and I'm going to go all in, you know, like it sounds like this tremendous amount of energy and drive um, that I'm sure, you know, you eventually came back to and, and we'll, we'll, talk about part two of that story but just you know like it's not uh it's not that common or that easy to make that kind of a of a determination so i'm just curious like that piece of it yeah i think a few things um one is just yeah my time practicing this buddhism um learning about this this thing we call the fighting spirit and you know what it means to just really um, propel ourselves forward in, in ways that you know we we would never otherwise maybe consider for different reasons. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and so that was part of it. Um, and yeah, I, I think um, you know someone who I, I consider my mentor in this practice is Daisaku Ikeda, and 
He's someone who has, through his own life, just shown what you can accomplish if you really go for it. <laughs> and and yeah, his his kind of I think one of the the legacies he 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 leaves is that yeah, this is what I've done with my life, but. Um, it's not enough just for me to, to do this with my life. Like, why don't you do it with your life too? Like, why don't you live the, the greatest possible life, your own version of that, that you can possibly imagine. And mm-hmm. so I, I just really, you know, wanted to do that badly. And mm-hmm. I think also sometimes when you're up against a really tough place, you, you see clearly what you don't want to happen. <laughs> You're like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm in this place right now and I can very clearly uh, decide that this is not where I want to be. Like it's, it's super clear. The writing is on the wall. And you also realize, you know, I think through Buddhism that, you know, like blaming other people or looking out, you know, kind of pointing to things outside yourself as, as to why things are not the way you want them to be is like leads nowhere and it just makes things worse and puts one in a place of um, just, uh, you know, you're, you're relying on someone else to, to kind of move your life forward or some other thing, which, which doesn't do any good. And so there was that too. It's like, it comes down to me to do this. Um, and you know, there's this one, uh, this one quote in, in our practice that I really, um, I really have always connected with. Um, can I share it if that's okay? sure? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool, I cool. always ask. So actually that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So this is, um, go for it. Go from, for it. Okay, cool. Cool. Thanks. This is, um, from this, uh, this book called the record of the orally transmitted, uh, teachings, which is kind of, uh, notes that someone took on uh, Nichiren's uh, lectures. And um, it says, quote, if in a single moment of life, we exert millions of kalpas of effort, then instant after instant, there will arise in us the three Buddha bodies with which we are eternally endowed. Chanting nam renge kyo is just such a diligent practice, end quote. And I love that passage because um, I, you know, a kelp is basically like an eon or like a really long period of time. And so it's like, if you concentrate that sort of, um, effort or exertion or intention, uh, within a single moment, then this incredible life force and power emerges. And, and that's, I think in a big sense, what our practice is about that, you know, it's not a, a practice where you just like sit back and kind of hope that things are going to fall into place, but it's a practice where you realize that you have the, the, the life force and the, um, the power within to make any of these changes that you want to happen in your life to happen. So I think that was another, um, another maybe, I don't know, concept or realization or just inspiration that, enabled me to kind of propel myself forward. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing quote. And that I feel like just contextualizing that, like the determination, you know, um, is so helpful because, you know, being in the Buddhist community, you hear people often really make these kind of like bold decisions. Like I'm, I'm really going to challenge this, but you don't always hear that in the rest of the world, you know? So just to, to understand kind of where your heart and mind were at is really helpful. 
Sure. Um, which brings us back to this accident. So like you're you're really doing everything. And then it this I, I mean, I imagine this also affected if it, you said it was your left pinky, which I imagine yeah. is your viola pinky. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a important finger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, what what did the recovery look like? And were you, like, were you swayed in that moment, or what was going through your head once you physically understood what the recovery would require? Um, it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, I think on one hand, you know, you kind of realize that often, uh, you know, recovery is an interesting. Thing also because um, nothing's ever like the same also. Um, and so, you know, recovery is something that maybe people define in their own sense too um, because it means different things depending on the nature of different injuries or illnesses. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was coming to terms with that recovery might be a, a lifelong thing and that... Um, yeah, some things wouldn't be the same, um, which was, yeah, incredibly like crushing and it was just un un unthinkable at times. It was one of those things where, yeah, I would wake up in the morning and be like, is this real? Is this, is this really mm -hmm. happening? Um, and then also have to kind of, I, you know, I'd ask my, not intentionally but i would ask myself like is it really worth like pushing forward and trying to to live you know this life that i want to it's like you know for me running was something incredibly important i just run a marathon maybe if you know eight months before I was actively running and cycling and mm -hmm. you know playing viola incredibly important i need my my pinky and um yeah, and, and the reality with these injuries is that um, if 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 there's a bone fracture that happens like in the kind of like the joint or it's like an articular fracture, I think that's the word, it's it's much more serious than just, uh, you know, a fracture that happens kind of not in a joint. So these were all joint injuries too, which makes them a lot, a lot more kind of difficult. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really rough um but you know um i think it was also rough because i had been like pushing myself so hard to it would have been rough anyway but it was especially like i had been working so hard to you know just take care of my body and to you know stay healthy and so it was yeah it was it was tough um but yeah, just through um, encouragement of my friends in, in the Buddhist community and in this Buddhist practice, um, I just, you know, it was it was a moment by moment exertion to, to, to get through it and push forward. It was one of those things where my mind was just really shattered also. Um, mm. I think sometimes we don't understand how much our, our body and our mind are really like one or connected until you know, we, <laughs> we, we, we have to like, just kind of grapple with our, our body being, you know, in, uh, <laughs> not the, the shape we want it to be. So yeah, just, just the, the mental aspect was incredibly hard. I was beginning my third semester of my master's program and just being able to focus 
moment after moment in class, not even in like five minute stretches, like five minutes was eternity or like one minute stretches, but just to be there and, and follow every word that the professor was saying was incredibly difficult with just, um, you know, what's going on. I was also working to finish this film project that I was in. And it's like trying to record string parts with like, you know, with three fingers and not use my broken finger. <laughs> it's like you know, really, oh really tough. Um, but, you know, I, I'd wanted to, to finish this project properly and I didn't want to, I guess, um, compromise with what I thought was, you know, was, was, you know, realizing the vision I had for the score I was composing and also playing string parts on. So yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, and you know, yeah, having to, to, you know, do surgeries and, you know, physical therapy, uh, you know, throughout it all. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the bedrock getting through it was just, attending my, uh, my, my Buddhist meetings, which were on zoom because of the pandemic at that time, which were always really, really encouraging. And all my, my friends in the practice were there and, you know, it was amazing just to see them and, and just, you know, like, yeah, they're just check, check in on me and, and see how things were going. And, um, and definitely, you know, chanting nam myoho renge kyo every morning and evening. That was so important. Um, just to like, just to kind of, how should I say, it was so important in order to have my recovery be, be front and center with my life, um, every, every day. And, Mm -hmm. and just to, just to like, to believe that I would be able to not just get through it, but, you know, really like really recover. And, and again, that's, that's, Recovery is a tricky word because it it's not it's not like oh my computer hard drive broke I'm just gonna like <laughs> pop a new one in and we're all good you know the body doesn't really uh, work in such in a simplistic way like that you know we can definitely heal in amazing ways that's for sure mm-hmm. um, but you know some in, all injuries are different and so um, and th- these ones in particular it was I remember looking on webs one website and like knee kneecap fractures were like one of the like top 10 worst orthopedic injuries. And it's like, Oh, great. (laughs) It's like, what is this I have to deal with? But, um, you know, so yeah, that, that, that was it. But I just kept, kept pushing forward. I did what I could, you know, did try to be as serious with my, my physical therapy as possible, get out for like quote unquote walks on my crutches (laughs) every day (laughs) and just just move around and um yeah um yeah that was it i guess yeah yeah thank you for sharing you know what what you said about like the connection between the mind and the body um i i feel like there's something also significant there cuz oftentimes people who are new to buddhism um will ask or wonder you know like what exactly does chanting nam myoho renge kyo actually do and in some yeah. sense, it's like it, oh, I mean, of course, you know, the show is called Buddhability and we've explained many times that it's essentially you, you unlock your own Buddhahood or your Buddhability, which is courage or wisdom or compassion to, to do what needs to be done. Um, but I, I wonder like what the transformation felt like for you, like as you were chanting and you were, you know, doing what was in front of you, which sounds like physical therapy and getting through school and continuing to make causes to move forward. 
um, did like, did chanting, how did chanting help with the mind piece of it in terms of making sense of what happened or um, just finding your way again after being on this like really tremendous momentum prior to the accident? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. There's a lot of different things. I think one was that just understanding that I wouldn't be able to really grasp the entirety of this experience, <laughs> you know, being in the midst of it. Sometimes these things, you just, they, they make sense down the road and just acknowledging mm -hmm. and, and, and trying to find peace with that, with the aspect of not being able to understand the entire thing from the mm -hmm. midst of it was important. I think also just realizing that it, it would always just come down to me to, to push forward and to to get back where I wanted to be and and to just decide that I would never give up in that process and that it was either you know it was either I give up first or the the obstacle this challenge gives up first and it was not going to be me just making that very clear um just like you know just draw the line in the sand as as they say um that was another thing um you know, there's something about just chanting Nami Horenge Kyo that's beyond the intellectual explanation of it, just very um, empowering. And mm. just the, the act of, of, of chanting in itself, it rewires our brain, I think, in ways that we can't understand, mm. um, especially with understanding what this practice is about and that, you know, we are, you know, at our core Buddhas and have infinite potential and you know everyone does and we can overcome anything and so just you know the chanting every every morning with with that kind of just you know it wasn't like a, a peaceful experience i think chanting in that way it was just rigorous and determined and just like almost like just doggedly just like pushing pushing forward and it, it was it was a intense battle because I knew that, yeah, at times of the day, like my I, I could be like accosted with these just really thoughts of you know despair and negativity and hopelessness mm -hmm. and just that it would everything did turn everything, um, everything depended on that kind of um, that time I spent chanting Nami Horengiko in the morning to have that that kind of perseverance and that tenacity um that was another aspect of it um hmm. yeah yeah i mean in this in this buddhism we say nothing is ever wasted and that you can create value from anything and and i didn't necessarily know how that would unfold in that moment but just understanding that you know that yes, I could create value from from this incredibly tragic situation. We we really strive to appreciate challenges in this practice, and and in fact, to the point where if if there aren't challenges in our practices, like there's something <laughs> wrong. You know, it's 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 that important that we, in one way or another, come up against obstacles. It's so important. It's almost like if you think of going to the gym, 
you're walking into a room just full of obstacles. It's just these like metal weights that you're supposed to lift up and down over and over again are these, you know, silly machines that you you run on and you never get anywhere. You just tire yourself out. But, <laughs> but people love the gym. And, you know, it's, it's so clear. It's like you need challenges. You need obstacles if you're going to really expand your life, if you're really going to discover, like, who you are at the core and what your life is about at the core. You you need obstacles. Each of us needs obstacles. And not, no obstacle looks the same for for each one of us. But that's something that's so important in our practice is 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 having the courage to to face these challenges. Um, whether it's something that you know we kind of impose upon ourselves, like setting a ambitious goal or um, you know, fighting against something that maybe um you know, happens to us or, you know, it's a situation we feel stuck in. So, yeah, I think that was another aspect of it was just myself determining that I was going to be able to use this challenge in in some way in my life. Like this, this was, this was, this was almost part of like the rocket ship taking off. This was just, you know, this was some like, I don't know, like mid atmospheric turbulence (laughs) or something, but you know that this this was uh this was something that i was absolutely going to use on this journey yeah wow oh my gosh that's so well explained thank you for the especially the perspective on obstacles like you know people often um also ask like you know it's a little counterintuitive to hear words like fighting spirit or like battling or like you know that type of energy when it comes to Buddhist practice, because in in kind of popular understanding, Buddhism is about peace and achieving peace and chanting is not necessarily that. I mean, there are times that that's certainly what it provides, but more often than not, it's like helping you fight and win over yourself. And so I feel like what you explained is very helpful in that regard, because in mm. order to access our Buddhability or our greatest self, we have to simultaneously defeat our negativity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, whatever. Well, first, I, I'm, based on everything you just shared, so curious to understand what the meaning was that you eventually made and like how this became part of the rocket ship. Um, so, you know, in terms of both your recovery, but then like finishing the program, also finishing the instrument, like how did how did things turn out? Okay, cool. I'll start with physically recovering. <laughs> These things do kind of have their own tracks in, in, in certain sure. senses. Yeah. So, um, you know, I got through physical therapy, moved back to New York, which it was crazy just going back to my apartment and everything is exactly how I left it, like in this crazy time of just having gotten hit by a car. And it was kind of eerie. But yeah, so I got back to Brooklyn, you know, got a really great physical therapist in, in New York also. Um, finished that. And uh, yeah, I found this really um, great kind of knee rehab uh, program on the internet. And um, it's great. It's awesome. I still I still do it. It's not even like knee rehab. It's just like, you know, kind of strengthening your 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 whole body. And so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, do that, go to the gym five times a day still, which you know, it's, it's, it's tough. But, um, but yeah, you know, just just gotta just gotta keep pushing ahead. And, um, but yeah, I can, I can run again, which is awesome. I'm not like up to the level I was before, but, uh, still, still pushing and I can 
I can, you know, cycle and maybe not as long as I could before, but, you know, still, still pushing ahead with that, um, with that too. Um, yeah, finishing the program, it was, it was really deep because I think finishing the program ties in with where I ended up taking my life after, which was starting this PhD program at the University of Virginia. And at one point I had this idea that, wow, it could actually be kind of interesting to do a PhD program because I've enjoyed this master's program so much and it would open up new opportunities and a lot of PhD programs and at least the music world, they're, they're funded. So it wouldn't cost anything and I'd get, you know, like a living stipend and could just focus on my music and that's great. Um, <laughs> I've been wanting to do that since day one, basically. Um, so yeah, I finished, I finished the, uh, the program. I mean, it was, it was deep because I, you know, I was finished, I was doing my PhD applications, uh, still when I, before I moved back to New York, I was living with, with my parents and it was just, you know, a lot of work just, yeah, with the physical therapy and, um, you know, busy semester in my master's program and, um, yeah, doing these, these PhD applications and, I ended up composing this this piece of music during this time in, in my parents' attic, which I ended up putting on my 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 PhD portfolio, which was a really special piece. It was it was something that that really I think came about through this this challenging time. The piece mm-hmm. really has this and, and you know, there's no doubt about that in my mind. I remember composing each each movement of this this composition and what it was where it came from and yeah with this the same time i was also pushing forward with building this instrument um at this time i couldn't really like move around that well so i wasn't doing too much of the actual like physical work building it but i was more working on the software side of it because it's kind of a hybrid uh you know acoustic and digital instruments i was working on the software side of it and i had this really like interesting breakthrough with it at this time. And, um, there was, a a man I was studying composition, uh, with, um, really, really incredible, uh, composer, Morton Sabotnik. And I had, I had started composing this new piece that I was kind of using this instrument to create. And he was like, Brian, like this piece sounds like all this other stuff that exists already. Like you're spending all this time building this new instrument. Why don't you try and do something that, that you can't do any other way except with this instrument that no one's ever done before. And I was like, Oh wow. Like I've, <laughs> I was really excited about this piece and you know, it's just like, um, like, I don't know. I feel kind of stuck, but I, I just, you know, went and, and chanted a bit. And I was just like, there's, there's a way to, there's something deep about this that I need to really crack and, and uncover. And, and so I, I forget how I came to this realization, but um, I, I took um, some, like when, when I had built this instrument, I, I put a bunch of like outputs from each string into this, this box that was used to kind of convert the analog signal into a digital signal. Cause I was like, Oh, if I'm going to build a preamp into this thing, I might as well, um, you know, get some, some cool like analog outputs so I can, you know, 
uh, connected to other stuff. But anyway, I ended up taking these four, um, you know, signals, one from each viola string and, you know, routing it to my computer and doing this interesting process where I, I kind of use this thing called convolution to mix together the analog signal from the instrument with the, the digital synthesized signal that the software was creating. And it ended up creating these really very, very cool, unique um, textures and sounds. And that was the basis of this composition I created that went on my PhD portfolio. And it just felt like one of these, these things that, um, you know, just this one comment from my composition teacher and just having this realization, it was one of those, those things that I feel like life could have easily happened a different way. And I would have missed that <laughs> opportunity to do that. Um, but I don't know, it just happened the way it did, which was, which was awesome. So did my PhD portfolio, you know, sent them off and yeah, I kind of forgot about it for a while. I was just in the process of finishing my master's degree capstone and, um, yeah, I was also, you know, at this point I, I kind of didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket because, you know, I, I really wanted to have some clear path forward after my program. So I was thinking about other things I could be doing also besides PhD programs. But uh, as it turned out, I got accepted into to two places and I decided to, yeah, uproot myself from New York where I'd been the past 14 years and moved to Charlottesville, Virginia. And it was a very scary decision because I really like New York a lot. <laughs> um, you know, even though it's a crazy challenging place to live, but you know, there's nowhere else like it. And so, yeah, I decided to, to move to, to Virginia to, you know, do this PhD program. And, um, it's been awesome. You know, I, it's, it's kind of a, you know, a literal breath of fresh air to be, uh, outside the city where, you know, there's less cars and, you know, the air is cleaner and I can breathe a little bit more deeply and, uh, you know, walk places again. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's really great. I feel really fortunate, um, to be here and yeah, the instrument I'm still continuing to develop. Um, it's an on, it's an ongoing thing. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm still chanting just, just how to, um, to realize it in the most, uh, I guess, um, I don't know, impactful way. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. Um, but that's, yeah, that's so cool. And also the, the thing that you described about, um, just that comment, um, that encouraged you to sort of seize that moment or the advice from, from the professor you mentioned. Um, yeah. it's funny because I, I've always felt like, like, you know, chanting isn't magic, right? It's easy for it to feel like magic at times, but it, it's absolutely not magic. But in in some sense, it like puts you in the right place at the right time in the right life state. So mm, like yeah. these opportunities show up, but like if you're not in the life state to receive them or to take action on them, then like, how does it matter that you are in the right place at the right time? So it, it kind sure. of feels like one of those, yeah. if you know what I mean, yeah, where you're totally. like- Totally, <laughs> 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So encouraging. Um, well, I feel like we've, we've covered so much, so I appreciate you taking the time to, to unpack this. Um, I just yeah. have like kind of one more question about the story, um, itself before I move to sort of my wrap up question. Um, okay. and that's just like, uh, 
you know, in Buddhism, we talk a lot about this concept of human revolution or inner transformation. And that's sort of the underlying project under all of the goals and all of the challenges and all of the external or material um, things that transpire, right? It's like our own inner heart changes or like our life tendencies or karma change. So I'm just curious, like, it might be a hard question to answer, but having gone through this, you know, wild experience, what do you feel like is the sort of biggest change that you've witnessed in yourself where you're like, you know, I know that I've changed based on me chanting and, and going through all of this? Yeah, yeah. I think a few things. Um, one is, is just, I think, really trusting this practice on an even deeper level because mm-hmm. um you know just like this practice says we have infinite potential um there's kind of an infinite depth that we can go with this practice it's not like oh i get to level seven and you know i'm done <laughs> and get my certificate <laughs> and see what's after this um but no it's 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 infinitely deep so um i think i think in one sense it was just being able to really um trust that I can use this practice to break through things that are more difficult than I had ever imagined before. And this was a challenge that at least Mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, getting hit by a car um, was a challenge that was um, harder than anything I I had imagined before. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, one, one aspect of human revolution is just being like, yeah, I mean, if I can get through that with this practice, like what else can I do? let me really just continue to put the practice to the test, which is an ongoing thing. Um, it's something that we, we never, uh, we never stop trying to do. Um, I think also, um, yeah, I think just an appreciation also for, for the, for, for, you know, life and the things that, that I do have, it's, it's, you know, so, so many of the times we can just be stuck in this, this mindset where it's like, oh, I should be here. I'm this age. I should have accomplished this. So I should be able to, you know, do this, this sort of thing physically. And and we don't stop and just, just appreciate like, you know, what, what we do have and what we can do with, with what we have. I think that's another thing. I think, Another one is is just knowing that I have it within me to to break through stuff that um, I I would normally think is completely impossible, um, mm-hmm. and, and I think for each of us it's it's that sort of thing. Each of us has these certain you know goals or benchmarks, milestones that that for us seem like impossibilities. Like it's like no, I would never be able to to do that or. Um, it's just like, you know, our head just cannot conceive of it <laughs> to the point where it's like where we, we wouldn't even think of trying. But, but you know, I, I think in this experience, it, I really saw myself have to, to confront those things for me and push through and actually realize, yeah, I can, I can completely do these things. And it's not even something that's like, of course, when it first happens, like, oh, wow, yeah, this is crazy. I actually did it. And that's that's awesome. But then it's like, oh, well, it's actually like, you know, very within each of our capabilities to achieve these things that right mm-hmm. now today seem completely absurd that we'd be able to achieve. No, it's actually absolutely within what we can do. Um, so that's another another aspect of it. Yeah. 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 I, I resonate with that a lot. It's, it's almost like... Um, 
essentially hardships and goals allow you to develop belief in your own bootability. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or potential, you know, like if you don't have anything to sort of test it against, then like how will you know that it's there and how much is there? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think ultimately, you know, e even beyond just like the yes, I can do it sort of thing, I think I think there's something where our 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 heart or our inner 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 self just kind of becomes like uh you know polished or, or purified through the process and we can we can I think take on take on the different challenges of life more more joyfully we can appreciate our own lives and the lives of the people around us as we're challenging things. Sometimes it might be like, Oh, like I'm going through something. So I don't got time for this or that, or, you know, just let me get through, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. turn into like a little, little curmudgeon, <laughs> but you know, I think, and I think it's almost like in society it's like, Oh yeah, of course you're going through stuff. You should be grumpy. <laughs> You should be like, get out of my way. You should be like, you know, more for me, less for you. It's like, yeah, of course. But no, that's like, that's such a just like kind of unfulfilling and, and just um, almost, you know, selling ourselves short way of living. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's that's one of the, the, the most important things with the, you know, when using this practice to challenge things is, yeah, we're going to be able to get that, that, that thing that we want, whether it's, you know, like the, the job or, you know, like the health breakthrough, um, you know, the apartment, whatever, we'll be able to get it definitely. But the real thing is, you know, our lives and our heart will really, you know, come to glow in a way that we wouldn't have been able to accomplish otherwise through the process. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Um, well, yeah, thank you again for sharing all of this. I'll move to my final question, um, which sure. we always end the show with, which um, is if you could give one piece of advice to anyone who's listening who might be new to Buddhism, but maybe who has um, experienced or is currently experiencing similar challenges to your own, what one piece of advice would you give them? Yeah, I think the one thing I would say is really try out this practice. I mean, you know, what do you have to lose? Um, yeah, try chanting, try getting connected to a local um, SGI organization, meet people, hear experiences. Um, yeah, really give this practice a shot because, yeah, there's no doubt that um, you can break through it. Uh, that's like super, super clear. It's whatever the challenge is, it's incredibly do doable to overcome. <laughs> I want to leave you today with the following words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda that encapsulate Brian's experience and also the Buddhist attitude toward obstacles. Ikeda writes, Life is about scaling one mountain, then facing the next one, and then the one after that. Those who persevere and finally succeed in conquering the highest mountain are victors in life. On the other hand, those who avoid such challenges and take the easy route, descending into the valleys, will end in defeat. He continues, The key, in other words, is to climb the mountain before you. As you ascend its slopes, you will develop muscles, increasing your strength and endurance. Such training will enable you to challenge still higher mountains. 
it is vital that you continue making such efforts. Chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo will enable you to bring forth the life force necessary to succeed. Chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo and climb the mountain in front of you. When you reach the summit, wide new horizons will stretch out before you. Little by little, you will understand your own mission. Those who remember they have a unique mission are strong. Whatever problems they have, they will not be defeated. They can transform all their problems into catalysts for growth toward a hope-filled future. On that note, if you'd like to learn more about chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, you can find plenty of resources at foodability.org. And as always, if you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.